Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Megan Cornwell. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry. It's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, head to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Today on The Profile, I'm speaking with Andy Hawthorne. Andy is a British author, evangelist and urban missionary who founded The Message Trust, a charity that reaches the most disadvantaged and disaffected young people in the country. He has spent over two decades shaping the organisation and he's seen thousands come to faith as a result. In recognition of his services to young people, he was awarded the OBE in 2011. I caught up with Andy earlier this year at the Christian Festival New Wine. Listen in. So Andy, you've been working in mission in the in a UK context for over 25 years. But tell me how it all became, how, how you became a Christian. Okay, so I was brought up in a Christian family. My mum uh, became a Christian when I was about three along with half the women on our street. It was like a mini revival in Hambleton Road in South Manchester. Old lady led all these young mums to the Lord. Shortly after, my dad came in as well. And so I was brought up in the Christian faith, but rebelled as a teenager. But all the way through my rejecting Christianity, my mum would be praying for us and all these ladies would be praying. And when I was 17 and my brother was 19, Simon, uh, he was also in a lot of trouble with the police and drugs and all sorts of nonsense. Um, but all the way through those rebellious years, my mum would buy myself and Simon a Christian book every Christmas, and we'd get all the things we wanted. And we'd always get the Christian book. And so when I, so when I'm 17, my mum and dad have now moved to Wales, and my, Simon and me have stayed in Manchester. And uh, they probably moved to Wales to get away from us, actually. But anyway, my mum's praying, and Simon started going out with a girl called Leslie. Uh, Leslie had a, a cousin in Blackpool she went to visit about 50 miles away and they wandered in together to a second-hand bookshop and this cousin had been aware of this fella called Arthur Blessett who was an evangelist coming to Blackpool and so she said to Leslie she saw a book on the side in the second-hand bookshop by Arthur Blessett said I'm going to buy that book for you see what you think for five pence and it wasn't a Christian bookshop just a regular secular bookshop so Leslie my brother's girlfriend read this book and was impressed enough to give the book to her boyfriend Simon and Simon was like, oh, Leslie, you're trying to convert me like my mum or what? But he opened the book and on the inside flap it said, to Simon, with love from mum, Christmas 1974. So it's one of those amazing God things that we don't know to this day how the book got off our bookshelf in South Manchester, 50 miles away, into Blackbill, into his girlfriend's hands and back round to him. But when he opened that book, it was like, wow, this really is to Simon with love from God. <laughs> and he read it. And uh, driving down the road in his van, he just said, oh, Jesus, forgive me, I'm sorry, come into my life. And he was filled with the Spirit there in his van, completely proper road to Damascus conversion. 
and it was through Simon's witness that I started going to church again. He got full on on fire for it. For about six months, I went to church every Sunday with Simon, and the rest of the week was drinking and fighting and partying. Uh, but after about six months, he gave his testimony in church, told about the book, my mom, the whole story, and I just knew I had to give my life to Jesus. So, how old were you? 17. 17. So, fully came through 1977, and clearly not been a perfect Christian, but definitely not looked back. And it was the most significant thing that ever happened in my life. And I, I actually feel that night, way back then, God gave me something of the heart of the evangelist. You know, what I love to do is tell people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. I was telling all my mates and going around the pubs in Cheadle where I lived and uh, saw a bunch of them become Christians. And the youth group I was involved in grew like crazy over a, a period went from about 10 to 200 in these first years of being a Christian. Amazing days. And uh, you know, I'm not the best evangelist around, but definitely that was my heart, right? And I tried to get into full-time Christian work a bunch of times, but nobody seemed to want to have me. So I ended up going into business with Simon, um, and uh, we set up a fashion business. We made accessories and jackets, and then we bought big embroidery machines as the work grew, and and uh, and so we had all these cool fashion accessories. And in in the mid '80s, uh, Lady Diana wore a pair of our braces. We used to make fashion braces for girls. And the next day, it was like every girl in Britain had to have a pair. So we had millions of these braces on order. And so we went to the local job centre, employed lots of local lads from the estate, uh, and uh, they were a nightmare. You know, our factory was in inner city Manchester, really, for no better reason than that's where we got the best grants. And uh, we lived in, in the suburbs. I lived in a beautiful 400-year-old cottage. Used to drive in in my BMW and get out as quick as I could, really. But suddenly I was confronted by their messy lives and their brokenness and generations of unemployment and addiction. And then the breaking started. So the word got out in Longsight where our factory was that there's all this cool fashion gear. And so we would be called out about three or four times a week with different breakings and it was chaos. But it was like, this can't be right. You know, these lads, they know nothing of Christ. And so we tried to find some churches in Longside. And there were little struggling churches, but definitely no churches that could connect with these kids. And so it was really on the back of that, that myself and my brother Simon decided to arrogantly organise Manchester's biggest ever youth mission. <laughs> we, we were at Harrogate, this is 1987 now. So we were at the Harrogate Fashion Fair displaying our wares and, uh, and we were just chatting about these lads and somebody needs to do something and by the end of the afternoon we were like, well why don't we do something and, and we'll book the biggest rock venue in Manchester for a week, we'll write to every church, we'll try and get hundreds of build-up programmes happening in the, in the inner city and uh, drove back from the Harrogate Fashion Fair all excited, feeling like the wheels of the car were an inch off the ground and you know, hey, look out devil, here come the Hawthorne brothers and then got home and I was like, Eh, you know as if we could do this we don't have the resources we don't have the gifting we don't have the connections and I said oh god if you really want us to step out in faith like never before would you speak to me through the bible and, and my set reading for that day was Isaiah 43 and particularly eight verses 18 to 21 which are verses we've not left in 32 years it says forget the former things don't dwell in the past see I'm doing a new thing there will be rivers in the desert and streams in the wasteland. It goes on to say, the wild animals will honour me, those are formed to declare my praise. And that kind of, those scriptures are basically everything we want the message to be 32 years later. So that was all out of the business for the first five years. And when you talk about let, letting go of the former things, is that about yourself as well? Because I guess, you know, you describe yourself as having a nice car, a nice, a nice house. 
you know, did you have to let go of some of those things in order to do yeah. what you're doing now? Well, yeah, five years later. So I, I, we had to downscale our lifestyle quite dramatically. What was that like? Uh, well, I think it was harder for Michelle than it was for me, actually, my wife. And I remember, because what actually happened after we did the Message 88, this massive youth mission with 300 build-up events and thousands of kids and people coming to Christ, then we did Message 89, and then we formed the Worldwide Message Tribe, which was this band rap hip-hop outfit that I ended up fronting and never planned to be a rapper or dancer. It was just amazing. It's everything I wanted to do. And, and we got kind of popular even all over the world while I was still in the business. And so I was loving life, charging everywhere. And Michelle was at home with two kids. And I remember going to see our vicar and saying, I really feel this call into the message to full-time work now, set up the charity, leave the business behind, put all my energies, and he said, very wisely, it's more important that Michelle feels that call. And unless you're both in this together, it's never going to work. Especially if it's going to affect your finances, affect where you live, affect you know, all that stuff. And so Michelle was up for it. So God. how did you get Michelle from that place of not being sure about it to well, being completely all yeah. in? I mean, obviously, lots of lots of prayer, and she is a woman who hears the Lord and lots of counsel, lots of support. But, but, uh, and I mean, you got to be careful when you say um, the Lord provided with us with a lovely home because you know there's millions of Christians, billions who live in shacks around the world. But the way everything came together, you know, we had to sell our 400-year-old cottage. We thought we were going to be moving into a tiny two-up, two-down, and through a whole bunch of miraculous circumstances, you know, we had to downscale big time, but nothing like we imagined. And God just lined so many beautiful surprises. And I mean, when it's the only time in my life when I really had to rely on the Lord, because even going from a businessman's overheads, you know, that journey, yeah, we've moved house, so we've got a bit of a load of debt, and, a big mortgage but we still got you know there's still it takes a while and there was a season when you know we were as as poor as we've been we weren't poor compared to many people who didn't know where the next meal was coming from but there are occasions when we were like wow god how are we going to buy the food this week and, and full-on shops would you know turn up on our doorstep and just crazy stuff so <laughs> so we saw the lord's amazing provision in those early days and i was i mean it, it's funny really because I was, as I say, loving life. So I was doing schools work with a band all week, and then we'd go off around Europe doing these massive gigs and love it. And I remember saying to Michelle, wasn't it amazing those early days of the Worldwide Message Drive? You know, when we were just riding that wave and seeing thousands come to Christ and open doors. And she said, no, it was horrible. <laughs> I was like, all oh, right, because <laughs> she was home with the two kids, you know, and he said, I, I felt I couldn't tell you that, and sometimes I just wanted to leave even at one or two points, because it was just so hard, you're charging around the world with all these beautiful dancers and singing and rapping and doing having these massive gigs, having a brilliant time, yeah, so I hope at that point, I said, well, that's not the way it's meant to be, yeah. you know, even if you've got a massive call and you're like, you don't need to, your marriage to suffer or your relationships to suffer because God can do more in five minutes than it takes a lifetime of human effort so yeah so we learned a bit but it, it was a crazy time of God opening doors for us though well tell us tell, tell us a bit more about these miraculous ways that you've seen God move over the years particularly in the lives of the young people you've been working with well we I mean we say it's funny actually I used to say we're a story driven movement in some ways we are you know we celebrate our stories and we're a new wine at the moment and and uh, one of our lads, uh, Liam, just stood up and told his story this morning. A story of 
absolute brokenness and addiction and rejection and suicide and all that suicide attempts and now he's this beautiful man of God and we've been privileged to disciple him and see him you know make that journey and what an honour that is and it's like sometimes I think if that's all we had one Liam to show it would be worth it because of course he was lost and and hopeless and now he's got a heaven and he's got a future but but we see that we've got thousands of them a couple of weeks ago months ago I was preaching in this church in uh, Hope City Church in Sheffield and, and at the end of the service two girls came up to me and one was Natasha and we journeyed with Natasha a massive roller coaster out of all sorts of drugs and brokenness and pain and a huge roller coaster she ended up in rehab and then but 15 years later she's now this woman of God who's one of the leaders in their their home for trafficked and vulnerable women and it's, oh it's worth it Natasha the youth leader in the church a girl called Kylie is, is was uh, you know in Harper Hay reached to our, one of our team again very broken very damaged and you you would say you know where's the potential in that girl well if you see her come to Christ and disciple and journey through all the roller coaster that she can go on to be this multiplying disciple which is what we get excited about the message and of all the people that you've seen come to Christ Andy is there one particular story that really stays with you I think there's I think there's lots but perhaps immediately the first story that might come to mind is a lad called Nick um, who's one of our most fruitful evangelists works in prisons and PRUs and um, he for about, I, well, I, I journeyed with Nick for probably 10 years and he would actually if I ever invited him to church he would come he was like on drugs dealing drugs against suicide attempts lots of violence lots of chaos but he would always he, we had a bit of a connection and so he would come and he would meet me for coffees and the amount of times I do these extended appeals at the end of my messages and he, he never gave his life to Christ just seemed, since the more he heard me preach the worse he got and then some Nigerian guy came to Manchester and he gave his life to Jesus and uh, came to see me the next day and said Andy and you know I'm sorry I know it's all true and he said I need to be part of the message family and if if you they allow me to clean the toilets I'll do it for nothing that's what he said and so I took a bit of a flyer on him and put it on, a, on our year program that program called Message Academy which is a discipleship program and it was again a roller coaster he was still doing a bit of weed on the side his, his girlfriend Andrea left him as soon as she heard he'd become a Christian and ripped his bible up and there was all that going on but then one of our girls came alongside Andrea and took, she took her out to Uganda she got saved then in Uganda and just with all God was doing out there now fast forward 10 years Nick's this amazing evangelist who week in week out seeing healings and salvation in prison she's leading that ministry in Uganda which is like rescuing hundreds of kids and businesses and I think of that couple and I was best man at their wedding and it was amazing and I remember Nick coming around to my house at 11.30 at night uh, at the birth of his second child because and I'm like, are oh, you alright mate? And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I know it's late, but I just had to see somebody. I'm so excited about little Nico, my son. And I know what it is to be a dad, because when Alexis, that was his daughter, was born, I was in and out of the delivery suite, high on drugs, all my old mates were hanging around outside. And I didn't know what it was to be a father, but I know what it is to be a father. And now to see Nick and Andrea bringing up these kids in the Lord and reaching like, thousands of people I mean that's amazing isn't it your organisation Andy has got lots of different sort of sides to it so you work with people in prison um, you work with young people in schools with deprived communities on urban estates 
with people like Nick, for example, what were the initiatives that have been most successful in terms of helping those people come to Christ and stick with their Christian yeah. faith? Well, I mean, when we first, so basically, 92, then I left the business, and the brother carried on the business, was the biggest backer for the first few years. And then, uh, and, I, and all we had was this band, the Worldwide Message Tribe, and I was the evangelist and we were going to schools. But about five years into the charity, we did a, a, a week in a place called Bench Hill, which was then like the most deprived ward in Britain, out of 34,000 wards. It was chaos, you know, like drive-by shootings and drug dealing and all prostitutes hanging around. And we did this concert at the end, 700 kids turned up from Bench Hill area, and 100 made a commitment to Christ. And what's better, they all turned up for church. You know, this little church, 20 people at these you know they were like the wild animals from Isaiah 43 you know but formed to declare his praise and um, but it was pretty chaotic and we were so excited this is like oh this is our dream the hardest to reach but most of them fell away we watched them like slip back and how can a church of 20 people cope with that much chaos and so it was then that we came up with the idea for Eden which now Eden is Christians moving uh, deliberately downwardly mobile kind of following Jesus who left a lovely place to came to an ugly place to because of his great love and and moving so and we pragmatically moved a whole bunch of young adults into Bench Hill to start the first Eden team and it was such a success that we then did the second one in Langworthy and Salford and and 72 Eden teams later we're still rolling them out of the way at one a month and over 700 people have made that massive step you know vast majority of volunteers each team of 12 has one full time guy or girl sometimes it's a couple but uh, the, the volunteers who often by vocation just live kind of anonymously if you like a bit like you know Jesus talks about ministry in two ways he said salt and yeast where a little bit makes a big difference a little bit of yeast makes the whole loaf rise a little bit of salt flavours the whole stew but he also talks about it like lamp on a stand where you can light up a whole city and you know city on a hill great tree that all the birds of the air can reach sitting you can't miss it and i think it's the way we get that tension going is how we see communities transformed christians deliberately moving into prisons and deprived communities or whatever it is but also unashamedly preaching the gospel and we've tried to do that with you know the worldwide message time is no more hallelujah but we now have eight other schools teams doing that same thing but we also have these hundreds of workers who've moved to live in the most deprived communities which is amazing and are you seeing people in those communities become christians yeah big time big time and we we really look forward every four or five years the government brings out what it calls the indices of deprivation so and it's come out this august actually or september and it's not every five years but every four or five years they they kind of recalibrate it all so you'll be able to put your postcode in and find out of 34,000 words exactly where you sit in terms of health, wealth, education, life expectancy, all the sort of key indices. And it's so exciting to look for all the Eden estates, the people where we've moved these people in, you know, to see the, the way, because Ben Shiel is no more the bottom of the barrel. The, the second, third Eden team was Harper Hay, which was then taken over or, or under whatever it would be better but to see the way these estates have not just seen church grow but community transform so yes the gospel works but we have to be very deliberate about taking it out we have to be you know confident and a big part of my work now is trying to train and 
resource Christians to share their faith better. Do you think that the UK church is doing enough to resource Christians to be effective evangelists? Well, definitely not. Uh, my Here's how I put it. I, I think we've got a fantastic HR department in the church. You know, There'll be all sorts of beautiful ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit at, at New Wine and all the festivals this summer. But actually, we haven't got a sales and marketing department <laughs> If you like, we haven't got the, the evangelists out there confident and boldly, and it's any wonder we're not growing that fast. Because when the evangelists are released, that's what happens. You know, people come to Christ, that's what the gifting's there for. Now, it's, we're all meant to do the work of the evangelist, but there is definitely a specific ministry gift, and in a lot of places it's forgotten or neglected. And you know, I even heard about a church that said, you know, we don't get involved in the E word. You know, like we do social engagement, we do good works, but without the E-word, we're never going to see society changed because only God can change the human heart. And Andy, what have you personally learned about God from 25 years on the front, frontline mission? <laughs> uh, I've learned that uh, he's faithful and he's flawless and that the gospel works like nothing else. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's 40 years Oh, 42 years ago and God's never let me down I've let him down plenty of times and uh, you, know, we, you know that's what we sang in this morning actually here at New Wine you know you're never going to let me down but I always sing it at the end of that song I always sing I never want to let you down you know you're never going to never gonna let me down you know that song we sing over and over and that's great to know but God's never and, I, and I've learned that he never lets us down sometimes he'll take us to the absolute wire and being a Christian is not a cop-out from the tough things of life but it's a power to go through undoubtedly and I think about you know the financial provision for the message besides anything else you know the finances now it's a multi-million pound operation and I remember the first time we got a thousand pound check I nearly did a lap of honour of my mate Dave <laughs> way back now we need you know I don't know it's stupid like that whatever six and a half million just for the UK and then we've got all this international work and how it comes in is just freaky can you give me some examples well I remember one time um, Mick Woodhead's here who's a rector in Sheffield a great friend of mine but we were both over at a conference in Portugal this is 2008 and uh, finances were really tight payday was looming large you know we'd always been climbing the mountain towards 23rd of the month when we got the salaries for over 100 people in the bank and um, I'm sweating about finances and Mick I don't think Mick knew that but he pulled me in front of all these big leaders it was like a leaders conference and he said Andy I believe God says to you he's going to give you a million pounds and a million opportunities and I was like, oh, that'd be nice. I mean, people don't get million pound checks, you know. You get, I mean, I'd certainly never have one. And then that was the Thursday night in Portugal. Flew back. Friday morning, I had a meeting with a business supporter of the message. And we met in McDonald's, which kind of gives you an idea of how skint we were at that time. And we had breakfast at McDonald's. He said, how did the conference go? I said, oh, yeah, it was good. And we had this word from Mick Woodhead about million pounds, million opportunities. And the guy went white. And he said, that's amazing because I've just sold my business and I told my wife I'm going to give the message a million pounds. And he gave us a million pounds, gift aided. Wow. You know, the Chancellor gave us 250 grand as well. <laughs> so it's just crazy. But I mean, how crazily God is that? And we, of course, we've blown it all on mission now. But it, it's, uh, 
it's just so exciting an exciting bit is not the million pounds I mean that's ridiculous that somebody would just give you that much money and say there it is no strings attached use it as you see fit but also that the million opportunities that's the that's the bit that really excites me and I think that's the season we're in now with the message that million opportunities you know all over the world crazy stuff's happening yeah you've got loads going on you've just written this book about calling mm. how do you make sure that you're focused and what you're doing is focused and you're not getting distracted well that scripture that, the touchstone scripture where it all starts says see I'm doing a new thing do you not perceive it and it, there's a bit of that you know we have a my job at the message is to only I, people say if you've got a job description say well yeah it's two lines long it's keep mission hot keep prayer hot that's basically my job description if, if those two things I keep my focus on that in some ways everything else looks after itself it's more complicated than that but so the keep prayer hot thing is so important to me that so I'm not just testing the prayer temperature the message but personally even though I'm like kind of guy who loves to do new things wants a, you know loads of ideas but I don't want my ideas I want God's ideas I want to perceive his ideas and it's actually and I only, it's weird that you know the amount of times I've spoken reflected on those scriptures probably more than any other in the in the last 32 years but I, I got fresh revelation a couple of weeks ago because it's fascinating in Isaiah 43 it says see I'm the Lord who brought you through the waters I'm the Lord who led you out of the desert I'm the Lord who did all these amazing things for you Israel it says it says all these things then it says forget the former things it's like the Lord says remember the former things then forget the former things because see I'm doing a new thing do you get me it's like we rejoice in all that's happened so far with the message but we know the best is yet to come you know it's always one degree of glory but we're only going to discover that if we seek him if we perceive it so every day we pray at the message we have seasons of prayer and fasting we're just building a, a night and day prayer house at the back of the message we have full days when you know everybody has to down tools and i'm a real kind of this is non-negotiable there's no meeting and we spend the whole day in prayer and worship and seeking him and i think it's been the best you know the best decision we've made just to keep prayer hot uh, and and still made mistakes but a lot less than we would have done if we hadn't been praying like that and it, and does that feed into your own personal faith life and your own personal prayer life uh, well two things constantly seeking god three things constantly seeking god in prayer being in his word a lot you know it's not just my ideas god will never contradict his word but also surrounding myself with good people just this morning Sam Ward who's head of ministry at the message and a mate of mine but he's overseas I just like oh just to have people like that around me who are tell it as it is I can trust but I've got my back you know that really really helps you stay on the on the straight and narrow as well that brings us to the end of part one of today's show but join us again to hear more from Andy Hawthorne right after this Premier Christianity magazine. In this month's issue, we give you a rare glimpse inside China's underground church as Paul Hathaway gives us the lowdown on what's been called the greatest revival in history. His special report reveals how the nation's 100 million Christians are thriving and seeing many miracles and salvations despite serious persecution. Plus, find out why Benny Hinn has renounced the prosperity gospel, get equipped to help those suffering with mental ill health, and be inspired by the Christians who are proving you're never too old to go on mission. 
for your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile, here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Megan Cornwell, Deputy Editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the monthly magazine that sponsors this show. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, just go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. In part two of my interview with Andy Hawthorne, I found out the most challenging aspects of his ministry to young people and what he wishes he knew 20 years ago when he was starting the Message Trust. Let's rejoin my interview with Andy Hawthorne. Listen in. What about some of the challenges that you've found in urban mission over the years? What have Tell me about some of the worst days of your ministry. Yeah, I think the, the well, obviously we've had a few, but... Uh, and you know all kinds of opposition and misunderstanding and weirdness the hardest thing by far is when you invest in somebody and you see them turn their life around see them get set free from drugs or see them you know and then something happens in their life they get in a difficult relationship or something happens in their family all the rubbish kicks back in that that is the hardest thing we've got a few of them at the moment you know, people who are just like our trophies. And God's never finished and very often he'll bring those people back. But just to see people who are who like have made so many strides and Satan's got right back in and taken them, it would appear back to the start. And drugs is like that particularly. And you know, just drugs and or sometimes drink for alcoholics is just a nightmare. So that's really hard and in some ways we want to say soft-hearted always soft-hearted always ready for God's grace to kick in but you do need to develop a bit of a thick skin in some ways we can't disciple people we can only cooperate with God he's the great disciple we can have all the programs all the prayer but sometimes people have got free will and will make monumentally stupid decisions how do you make the decision you've only got a certain amount of resources how do you decide enough's enough for somebody we poured resources into them. Yeah. We've helped them. Yeah. How do you discern mm-hmm. whether they're gonna turn back, walk with God, or whether it's just time to walk away? Mm, I don't think we ever walk away, and especially with Eden, we can't walk away because they tend to live around the corner or next door or in the community. That's the whole thing. It's, so we never walk away, but we we obviously we also have businesses. You know, we have nine businesses now. That where we employ ex-offenders and people out of rehab and the vast majority of them have come out of lives of addiction so if there is a time when we say if this behaviour continues we can't be paying your salary and you can't be working in this business because and so that's but when we would always go further than most employees and we've got a bunch of people now perhaps other businesses would have sacked to death but, but there come, yeah there is a line and it oh it's uh, it, it, it's there's a team around that. It's not just, unfortunately, it doesn't stand with me, but often I have to, the book stops with me, and that is a hard thing as well. Loneliness of leadership. I have to decide where, okay, enough is enough, and we can't be paying this person to take the mickey, but that's, that's really difficult. You work in a particularly deprived area of Manchester. We've talked a little bit about this before in terms of your family life, but was it difficult bringing up your children in that kind of context? Well, to be honest, 
right now I don't actually um, my kids are grown up and uh, flown the nest if you like so I, I don't uh, Eden teams who live in deprived communities I, I, their kids generally flourish their kids go at the local schools they grow in the local and they they yeah they flourish and it's, it feels like maybe this is going to be part of the sacrifice it's very very rare we hear Eden parents say it's been bad for my kids if you're bringing them up in the church if you're praying for them if often these are multicultural vibey and transformations coming and kids are seeing God do the miraculous so I think you know I think the best thing you can do is get your family on a mission the best thing you know I did was I think take my kids out when they were very little to see the poorest of the poor and in the, but also the poorest UK communities and see that see God move in that context. Sometimes we protect our kids. Remember, remember when we when we've done these big, you know, social action and proclamation missions. You know, the, a lot of the parents in the south, I think, thought they were going to come to Manchester and everyone had you know flat caps and guns. And how can I let little Tarquin loose on Manchester? It'll be a disaster. But you know, it's not like that at all. You once said, Andy, that you were frustrated that your employees weren't from the marginalised backgrounds of the people that your charity reaches. Do you feel that way when you look at the church? Oh well, that is definitely not the case. That was about ten years ago. I said that. I was kind of looking around the room, you know, the hundred staff thinking, wow, we're all pretty middle class and nice, but we've all got half of the poor and a lot of us are living in deprived communities and we're working in prisons and all this time, all the time. But that is definitely not the case now. And, and that was a, a deliberate decision that we made that we needed to set up these businesses to try and disciple people and come part of our community and buy lots of houses within walking distance of our factory and our units. And so, yeah, that is not the case. But is the church far too middle class? Yes. And is the church like there's a ghetto when it's in the wrong places? <laughs> you know, I heard that some. So I don't know whether this is this is a bit of an old stat, but I remember uh, Roy Crown. I think it was used to say, you know, eighty percent of the Christians live alongside twenty percent of people, and twenty percent of the Christians live alongside eighty percent of the people. Well, that's crackers, isn't it? You know where the real need is is where we need to be. And you can't get away from the fact that. You know, there's never been a major move of God that didn't start on the margins. You know, didn't start amongst deprived communities. You know, and then spill up you know, right the way back to the Master. You know, Jesus spent so much time with the poor and the marginalised and the broken. And Andy, you're about to turn sixty. How do you keep clued up about Generation Z and mm -hmm. um, millennials when you're kind of well past the age yourself? Yeah. Well, part of the reason. I'm able to do it in some senses because the average age of the staff at Message is 26. So we are just full. So I'm surrounded by millennials. You know, we have hundreds of millennials involved with the message. But part of the reason is they do, I don't. They get it in a way that I don't. So we deliberately, you know, and I am, I am definitely the old man of the organisation. And I, in some ways, my job now is to release others and empower others. And I'm going to. You know, you're not going to stop me preaching. You're not going to stop me getting out, and getting involved in mission. But I feel this next season is a lot about growing fruit on other people's trees. So I make sure I employ people who understand this culture and understand reaching millennials and what that looks like. And you have won uh, awards for being um, a, one of the best leaders at uh, a not-for-profit organisation. You've won that twice, um, two years running. 
Sunday Times best not-for-profit category. What do you think is the key to great leadership? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a joke, isn't it? Because you know, I'm a guy with one O level in woodwork, and I was I was at this you know the big glitzy awards ceremony in London two years running, yeah, and alongside all these major you know big secular charities who've got MBAs and all that, and yeah, and I did win, which was amazing. So I think the hand of God being on your life you know God helps you if you really press into leadership but I think what really touches people's heart what 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 is passion you know, it's the passionate people that change the world wherever I go people say to me you're a passionate guy and I'm like I'm, a, I'm just me no you're really passionate you and in some ways passion can take you all the way you know Jesus said if you've got a good and a noble heart and you keep going to the end if you can keep your passion going to the end, you know, the people I have the most respect for, you know, I'm friends with George Verver and Lewis Palau, these guys in their 80s now, and they've kept that passion, and I want to be there, I don't want to fizzle out, I want to go out with a bang. Running the race. Yeah, running the right race with the passion. So I think, I think passion, and, uh, and actually, you know, was it Ronald Reagan said, you know, there's no end to what can be achieved if you don't mind who gets the credit, and I'm trying hard to live that. So I celebrate that Sam Ward is doing the Bible readings at New Wine, and you know, and a whole bunch of our guys, are, you know, have got higher profile than me at some of the summer festivals. That's amazing. And talking about keeping the passion, how do you keep your teams motivated day in day out to share the gospel, spread the gospel, particularly when they're facing resistance and hostility? Mm. Well, we obviously we have a whole, you know, there's a there's a an HR department that's looking after welfare and training and resourcing but there is this passionate prayer life and the, the stories that we share when we come together I, I'll make sure we virtually never daily we will hear a good news story of someone whose life's been changed by the message and because and we'll, it's, it's, it's been said what you celebrate you cultivate so I want to cultivate passion I want to cultivate passion for the poor and the marginalised and the broken and uh, if I'm going to do that, I celebrate that. So whenever I see that, I put that on the slide. Come on, people, this is worth it. And at the moment, we're, we're in this slightly crazy season where there's around 40 nations around the world wanting to do message stuff, wanting to partner with us, and how we facilitate that. But we celebrate that, that it's slightly out of control. And there's probably nations around the world using our resources and replicating what we're doing who don't even know Andy Hawthorne is, but that's cool. And that's got to be good. And how do you make sure that your teams don't suffer from burnout and suffer from trauma themselves, particularly the, the employees that are on the front line dealing with yeah. some people that are you know, really in need? Mm. Do you have things in place to, to help? Yeah, well, well, obviously. So we always ask teams to look at two horizons. Just look at your local context, you know, bury yourself in your deprived community or your prison or what the area of work you're looking at, working in your business, trying to disciple people in that context. But also look at the bigger horizon. So the bigger horizon of regional, so we have lots of regional training, regional support, regional encouragement and sharing good practice, but you know, patching each other up and being there for each other. So I mean I think that really helps. You tend to find the people who work in the inner city, beautiful hearted people, but who do suffer burnout, tend to be the, the people who just go in on their own, one couple. If you go in as a team, we often try and find you know, a bunch of houses down streets, 
that juxtapose each other, you know? So there's there's a community thing going on and lots of support. Support the local level, support the bigger level. And and lots of training, lots of encouragement, lots of prayer, lots of worship, lots of escape valves, you know. But we still yeah, we still do find, you know, our beautiful Christian teams sometimes suffer from all kinds of mental health challenges and it is not easy but it's worth it we're seeing at the moment in the uk cases of street preachers being arrested doctors and nurses losing their jobs for sharing their faith and even campaigns against um faith schools are you finding the job of sharing the gospel getting hard is it getting harder well it's really i keep expecting it to but you know, when we first started, actually 1992, when we set the charity up, we called it Message to Schools, because that's all we were. It was Message to Schools. It was like, we'd done these events, the message, and then the Message Trust was all about the worldwide message to going in schools. And uh, we are definitely have more schools inviting us in than ever. So more schools want, and our teams are full on with the faith, hiding nothing. So we'll be in well over 200 schools next year by invitation and because they, they love it and it's we tie it in with the national curriculum and we do it our, our, of course it is rappers and DJs and breakdancers and all these all these cool guys going in and the kids absolutely love it so sometimes I think that we are our own worst enemies you know we go in breathing fire rather than with the grace of God and we go in insensitive to the situation now if you go out of school hours we will fully preach the gospel and give an invitation in school it's done very much as a discussion you ask us questions and inevitably they ask all the questions you want to ask and we say well the bible says and this is what christians believe this is what we believe but it's always done in an educational context so on that basis schools are more open than ever more schools want us in and we are like our biggest problem is how do we find the teams to fill all the opportunities we've got now long may that continue and it's just such a joy for me that's you know when we started as message to schools that that's happening i had these i had like five times in a very short space of time different amazing christian leaders like prophesy over me mm. you're gonna see an amazing season of open doors god's gonna open doors like and it's happening and talking about the future now andy the message has joined with the church of england the evangelical alliance and others for an evangelism campaign called Advance 2020. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, and I feel in some ways, if there's one thing, I mean, I'm excited about a lot of what's going on, but if there's one thing I'm really excited about, it's Advance. Um, what actually happened was, uh, there's a guy, a, well, a Ugandan pastor who's become a great friend came over and he, said, he lives in Kampala and he said, Andy, I'm coming to the UK, I need to share with your troops. So I gathered everybody and this John Bunjo, he was one of the guys who said, tremendous season of open doors. And Isaiah 60, he said, the Lord says, arise, shine for your light's coming. And he said, and you need to get away and seek the Lord, Andy. And I'm like, oh, looking at my diary thinking, oh, I haven't got much time to seek the Lord. And so, but I managed to find a couple of days for retreat. And I went to the Lake District and wow, God just spoke to me out of Isaiah 60. In fact, he did all this Isaiah 60 stuff. I put a, a, a CD, a teaching CD. I didn't know what it was about. All the way down, all on Isaiah 60. And then I got to my be bedroom after walking around the hills in the Lake District. Put my Bible on the bed. I was going to read Romans and I put it down. It fell open on Isaiah 60. I had this incredible time with the Lord where a whole bunch of things. And in there it says that the least will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. 
you know, you're going to see some of these people from the margins actually reaching imagination. That's millions, isn't it? And uh, but it also says, "Assemble my people," says the Lord, and it says the gates will be open and stay open day and night, and all this stuff. And during that time in the latest, I felt two things. First thing was we need to go big again. Book some big venues, getting more schools, preach the gospel boldly, and uh, so on the back of that, we've started our, our bit of advanced 2020. It's called the Higher Tour, which is hundreds of thousands of kids beginning with the gospel through that in the next year. But I also felt the Lord say you're not meant to be the frontline evangelist anymore you know for 25 years or whatever it was i'd been the main guy that would wheel out for all the big gigs and and uh, and i love that of course but no you're meant to invest in others and, and so when i got back I, I gathered 12 guys let's do something called advance where we meet monthly we're dead accountable we try and whatsapp daily to each other encourage one another and, and we look at what kind of gospel we preach and what kind of life do we live to be really fruitful evangelists and so I gathered these 12 this is like about four, three and a half four years ago and uh, and I said within 12 months I want you to be thinking you would form a similar group people around you that you can invest in well it's been amazing so there's over 700 now people in these groups more than 70 of these groups there's girls groups kept in single sex because we wanted a high level of accountability and in the last couple of months we've started to see all this global explosion so particularly with Lewis Palau Association coming alongside us and translating it into all kinds of languages and leading the charge across America and South America and Africa and just taking on guys in India to do it and Pakistan and it's just really kicking off so it's training evangelists in an accountable mentoring way so that's part of it but for 2020 we're saying to lots of ministries will you train evangelists but will you also go for broke Will you, you know, we're doing the higher tour, which is hundreds of thousands of young people. We're saying to all these other ministries, would you think about coordinating and cheering each other on and sowing loads and loads of seed? And if we're trained, if we're prayed up, maybe God will give us a harvest. So we're going for it. And as I say, there's about 100 ministries now involved. We've got a big launch. It's not a conference, it's a commissioning day on the 12th of October at the Bethel Convention Centre and uh, so we're hoping to gather 1500 people who have a heart for evangelism and share some amazing stories of what's going to happen in 2020 so advance2020.org is where you can find loads of free resources and it's so not a control thing if you want to form a group with your mates to be accountable about how do we reach our friends let's sharpen each other let's get better and that's that's advanced and it's dead exciting and in terms of it being in 2020 is that a coincidence or I, I mean I'm talking about you know thinking about the political climate at the moment and thinking about what 2020 might hold in yeah. terms of everything that's happening with Brexit do you yeah. think it's a coincidence that you're, you're planning to do it now well what do they say it's a god incidence <laughs> so that's probably yeah i mean we've only done it because it just makes sense it's, you know 2020 we've had all these prophetic words oh it's 2020 vision and all this stuff i think it's just a year but it is a year where god seems to be lining an awful lot of stuff up in the uk okay prayer movements and people have a heart for mission and it could be the year when more people hear the good news face to face than any time in my christian life if all the stuff i know about comes off you know that they're all the plans so yeah could be really really exciting so we're, we're certainly going for it and and who knows yeah who knows what the climate's going to be like in 12 months time who knows what's going to happen but 
whatever happens we know the gospel works mm. and it's the answer however good or bad society goes and so you clearly think that proclamation evangelism isn't over big time it hasn't had its day so we've got prayer and prayer and proclamation in some ways obviously we have to care for the poor that's a gospel imperative but without without the good we have a gospel that must be heard you know uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God so you know you believe you, you believe in your heart you confess with your mouth you're saved you can't get away from it and and it, well if we do with this church is going to shrivel and die and we're going to just do the government's job for them on a cheap don't take the gospel away from us it's all we've got and finally Andy if you could do it all again what would you say to a young Andy Hawthorne right at the beginning of starting the message what do you in other words what do you wish you knew then that you know now well you've heard me say I wish I was a bit more thoughtful to my wife in the early days I do wish I'd spent more time in the Bible and in prayer more time reading the Bible for me you know because I'm a preacher I'm always reading the Bible for others you know like oh here's three points to you know nail it home in this setting and oh they need to hear that but the Bible's really beautiful when it reads you and then read it so so I wish I'd built more time and I'm trying to do that uh, but so more time reading the Bible for me more time in prayer and more time with my mates you know when you're I am a driven man I'm a man with passion and visionary I love to think I'm apostolic you know grow stuff but the message the great joy is mates on a mission we want to be good friends don't we God's first, Jesus is first and foremost our friends you know I'm no longer calling you servants I'm calling you friends said Jesus I want to be good mates so those are the sort of things I'd work out my relationship with God and my relationship with my mates and primarily you know my relationship with my wife reflecting on that I could have done all those things better but still God's kind and I've got a brilliant marriage and a brilliant ministry and uh, you know God's amazing well it's been a real pleasure speaking to you Andy thank you oh thanks a lot well sadly that's all we've got time for today but you can check out more profile interviews in Premier Christianity magazine the publication that sponsors this show from the Archbishop of Canterbury to the author Francine Rivers from the TV presenter Simon Thomas to evangelist Jackie Pullinger we interview the biggest names in the Christian world. For your free sample copy of the magazine, go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Otherwise, see you same time, same place next week on The Profile.